0: Welcome to the Weekly Sermon Podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. We're going to continue looking at spiritual gifts this morning. And if you've been coming for the past several weeks, then you know that I have uh, divided these groups into three. This is not a biblical division, but it's a division that I think will help you to better understand the gifts. I have chosen to divide the spiritual gifts into three groups. Calling them red light gifts, yellow light gifts, and green light gifts. And last week we looked a little bit at the green light gifts. Well, why, what makes a green light gift a green light gift? One of two things either it pertains to a gift of service, like mercy or giving or encouragement, something like that, that you can't really go wrong on. It's really hard to offend God, it's really hard to do damage whenever all you're doing is going to someone and giving them a cup of water in Jesus' name. That's pretty safe. There are any number of spiritual gifts that are service-related gifts that are pretty safe for us to exercise them. There is also another gift that I put with the green light, even though it could go with the yellow, and that is the teaching gift. And the reason that I put the teaching gift there is that if it is handled correctly, it ought to be a very safe gift. In other words, if you come to me and you say, Brother Gary, what does Romans chapter 12 mean? And I say, well, I don't exactly remember Romans chapter 12 off the top of my head, but let me go back and read it. And let me open up my study books, and let's see what it says in the Greek, and let's see what the commentaries say, and let me see if I can, if I can get a grasp on what this is, and, and I will pray about it, and then I will come tell you my interpretation of it. That's pretty safe, because I am staying very, very close to the Word of God. That's what makes it a green light. And the only way that you get off of that is if you have someone that, that, that strays away from what the Word of God says. But that's the green light gifts. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the yellow and red light gifts. And gifts are yellow or red not because they're unuseful, not because they're undesirable, not because they should be avoided, but because they rely significantly on human intuition rather than an analytical look at the Word of God. So to give you an example of that, several years ago I was going through a dry time, spiritual dry time. And uh, part of that spiritual dry time is I had some insomnia. I have insomnia once in a while. And I woke up like two or three in the morning. So I just began praying. And, and I'm bothered because I'm going through one of those dry times. None of us like to feel like our link has cut, been cut between us and the Lord. And as I'm seeking the Lord, what comes to my mind is an old West Texas kind of picture. I see a, a water pipe just like those that would come out of a windmill on a ranch that, that's pouring out into a, into a tank. And then I see a dry bucket. And, and it's like the Lord is telling me, if you want to be filled... If you want your bucket filled again, you need to come back where the water is. And, and, and so that, that is a subjective kind of experience. Whether you'd call that a dream or a vision, it's, it's intuitive. Now, I think it's biblical, this, this, this vision that I had. I think it's biblical because in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. I think that what I, the impression that I had was very similar to what we read in John 15. But here's what you need to understand. I didn't start in John 15 and then get to the point where I had this this vision of the water pipe and the bucket. I started with the vision. and, And that is intuitive. And you can never ever trust your intuition, no matter how real it may feel to you. It always has to be uh, subjected to the Word of God for us to put trust in it. So, having said all of that, let's this morning look at the yellow light gifts. I truly thought we were going to look at the red and yellow together, but as I began to write this, I understood very quickly that was not going to happen. So we're just going to have time to do the yellows this morning. Uh, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time with some of them. Some of them I'm going to hit pretty light, but I want to give you understanding of, of these that may have some issues you need to be aware of. First, we're going to start with apostleship. What is the spiritual gift of apostleship? The Greek word is apostolos, and it refers to a messenger, envoy, or delegate. It is someone sent on a mission on behalf of another. When the United States sends an ambassador to China, that is sending a delegate or an envoy on a mission to another group of people. That's what it means to be an apostle. When we think of apostles, we usually think of the 12 men that Jesus called to himself and sent out because Jesus sent them out on a mission for him. He did the commissioning, but the apostles didn't speak on their own, they spoke on behalf of Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 13, is where Jesus appoints the apostles. Let's take a quick look at it. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And if you're in the NLT, it does have a, a title on it that says, Jesus chooses the twelve apostles. That makes it pretty clear. Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it said, Afterward Jesus went up on a mountain, and He called out the ones He wanted to go with Him, and they came to Him. Then He appointed twelve of them and called them His apostles. And they were to accompany Him, and He would send them out to preach giving them authority to cast out demons, and these are the twelve he chose. Simon, James, and John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot. When we think of the apostles, these are usually who we think of with these exceptions. Judas Iscariot, scratch it off your list, because that's the one who betrayed Jesus. But Jesus chose himself another apostle, didn't he? On the road to Damascus, he reached out and he took hold of of Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul. So scratch Judas and put on Paul, and there you have the twelve apostles. It does seem in Scripture, even in this passage we're looking at in Mark, That Jesus gave these men certain authority and certain power that other people lacked. It says here that he gave them the ability to cast out demons. It says in another place that he gave them, the apostles, the ability to heal. And when we read about the ministry of the apostles, that is exactly what we see. We see them casting out demons. We see them able to heal people. We see them doing unusual miracles. Guys, these are miracles above and beyond what what the ordinary church experienced just in terms of individuals or even their their prayer as a group. These men had a particular kind of power. As a matter of fact, I think on the board up there you have some verses. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 43. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Acts chapter 5 verse 12, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the people were meeting together regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But there again, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders. Acts chapter 14, verse 3, But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord, and the Lord proved their message was true. Whose message did He prove was true? The apostles, how did He prove it true? And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them the power to to do miraculous signs and wonders. A part of the reason that the apostles had powers and abilities that no one else had was to authenticate the fact that Jesus Christ himself had selected them and sent them out and empowered them and given them authority. And that's why we still look to them today. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. How many of you guys know how to build a house? Probably more of you than are raising your hand. How many times do you lay a foundation? One time. And so when the Bible tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, it is telling us something important. And that is that that these apostles who were sent out and had the authority of Jesus, these these men laid the foundation of the church. That foundation is not going to have to be laid again. And I, I spend time telling you about that this morning because when I drive back and forth to Dallas periodically I'm seeing signs now and on those signs there will be some smiling pastor and sometimes his wife on the sign with him and rather than saying pastor Mark Smith it will say the apostle Mark Smith and it will have a big A on it and the implication is that some of these men have apostolic authority for overseeing and founding churches as the original apostles had. And guys, taint so. They're on very, very shaky biblical ground to proclaim themselves a big A, a big A apostle. I think it is useful to think of the gift of apostleship as big A apostle and little A apostle. Because I do believe that there is still the apostolic gift. I think that there are little a apostles. What do I mean by that? Well, does the church still recognize people who have a gift or a calling to go out and plant churches in different regions, different nations, different culture groups? Absolutely we do. The church is sending them out as our messengers, as our envoys. On behalf of the church and on behalf of Christ to carry the gospel to a place the gospel has never been carried before. Or to a people group the gospel has never been carried to before either. We call these people today church planters and we call them missionaries. And it is the apostolic gift that is at work in them. For example, Ron Nolan, a man named Ron Nolan, founded this church the cowboy church of ellis county some of you have been around long enough to know who he is ron was a catalytic church starter he started numerous cowboy churches probably four or five right here in ellis county and he is continuing to plant churches around the country today why because he has an apostolic calling on his life now if you talk to ron he is not going to tell you he's an apostle but does he have the gift of apostleship? Is he one of those people that feels compelled to carry the gospel into new people groups and new areas? Absolutely, he is. So the gift is still active, but we, we need to see it as a yellow gift because so many people are abusing it today and claiming authority for themselves that they do not have, and putting a title on themselves that ought not to be given. They may have the little A gift of apostleship, but they are certainly not big A apostles. Next, let's look at the gift of discernment. What is discernment? Discernment is the ability to distinguish truth from error by being able to judge whether a behavior or teaching is from God or whether it is coming from Satan there really are such things as spiritual forces guys we we are living in a world that is consumed with spiritual warfare and there are people who have a real sensitivity to that it's almost like they have a spiritual antenna and and some way or another just by, by gift by instinct by intuition they know when something being taught is just not quite right Or they know when an individual is not quite right. Or they know when a circumstance is just not quite right. They can sense when the hand of God is at work and when the hand of Satan is at work. It's called discernment. It is a very useful and very needed gift. As a matter of fact, I think there's at least two people in my connect group that have that gift. Because we were talking the other night about some of the church experiences that different ones in the group had had. And and, uh, one of the people there said, well, you know, here's some of the experiences that we had. But we didn't stay at that church very long because I just knew that wasn't of the Lord. And I said, well, how did you know it wasn't of the Lord? And they said, well, wouldn't anybody know? I said, no, absolutely. I said, a lot of people would not know. I said, that's the gift of discernment at work, that they could sense something is wrong. But what makes this gift yellow is that it depends, again, more on intuition than it does the Bible. The way this individual came to understand that something was wrong in the churches that they were going to was not because they took their Bible at home and opened it up and did an analysis on everything that was said and on every scripture that was preached. They just knew it. They didn't have to go to the Word of God. Now, they may have went to the Word of God later, but I'm telling you they did not, they did not make that assessment on the basis of the Word of God. It was human intuition. I think my mama's got that gift, by the way. She Particularly, she used to have. You know, it's, it's really odd, just over the years, sometime, we would have interactions with somebody, either in our family or business life, and Mama would, would uh, say to me, you know, that guy's a snake. Now, several times, I remember several times, I thought, man, that's, that's a pretty charming guy. I don't see nothing wrong with that guy, but boy, about six or eight weeks later, I did and I had to acknowledge that somewhere or another she just knew. That's the gift of discernment. Very needed in a world where there are so many spiritual forces of darkness at work to be able to discern darkness from light. Next gift on the list this, list this morning is an easy one. Almost put it on the green list. That is the gift of faith. That is the the ability to not only believe that God can do something, but that God actually will do something. These are people that have the gift to believe God no matter what. The circumstances may look impossible. It just may seem like there is no flipping way that things can happen in such a way that God is going to be glorified and their lives are going to be good, and yet some way through it all, they manage to hold on to their faith. The biblical example of this is Abraham. The Bible calls Abraham the man of faith. The Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. There are very few people in the Bible that are commended more than Abraham. But why was he commended? I want you to look at Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Talking about the gift of faith and Abraham having that gift. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Talking about Abraham. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham looked at the circumstances. He wasn't a dummy. He said, this is impossible. God says, I'm going to have descendants uh, as numerous as the stars in the sky, but, but that, that's impossible. I'm 100 years old. My wife is old. She is, she, she's no longer capable of bearing children, and yet he never lost his belief that somehow God would do what God promised to do, and that's why he is commended, and that's faith. Why in the world would that gift ever be yellow? Why would we ever say something as close to God's heart as faith would would ever be yellow? Only for this reason, guys. Sometimes, when we're in prayer, or even reading our Bible, we will get a thought or an impression. Or we'll be reading our Bible and something will jump off the page. And and maybe something's going on in our life. Maybe we have received word from the doctor that we have a serious illness and, and, and that there's a real chance that we could die from this illness. And so we begin to pray about it. And God begins to speak to our heart. And we think, you know, I believe God's going to heal me. And we open our Bible and we read all of those verses and promises where God says that He will heal His people. And we become absolutely persuaded that God will heal us. And we go to the doctor and we say, Doctor, I'm not going to take any of what you've given me. Because the the Lord has said He's going to heal me. Now let me tell you something, that is well and good and fine, but we better know that those promises of God really do apply to us, that they really, really are for us in our particular situation right now, that they're not just in general. We better know that the Holy Spirit is quick in that, because if we get it wrong, it truly is a matter of life and death. And I have even seen and I know that you guys have heard or read about parents that use the gift of faith with their children. And so the doctor says, your children needs a certain kind of treatment. And the parent says, no, we believe the Lord's going to heal our children. And they don't get their children any medical care. And the children die. That's why it's yellow. Because if we're not really, really sure, if we don't interpret what God is speaking to our heart correctly, we can truly get in trouble by exercising faith. But it is a wonderful gift. It is a, God, a gift that God commends in the heart of every Christian. As a matter of fact it says over in Hebrews without faith it is impossible to please God because those who come to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly or sincerely seek Him. Next we're going to spend some time on this one. The gift of prophecy. What is the gift of prophecy? I think the ordinary Christian sitting in a chair on Sunday morning thinks that prophecy is the gift of telling the future. And most of the time, that simply is not so. Now, it can be, and it is the case, that sometimes prophets do speak of the future. But it is far from being universal. Nor... Is prophecy simply preaching like I'm doing right now? There are a lot of people who who don't want to believe in the spiritual gifts too much or they think the spiritual gifts are too dangerous. And they have boiled it down to where they believe that prophecy is nothing more than just declaring God's Word as I'm doing right now. The word prophecy means to speak forth. And it is to speak forth God's particular Word to a particular people at a particular time. If I could put it in my own words, I would probably say that prophecy could be described as the ability to tell God's people what time it is. The ability to tell God's people what time it is. I want you to look up on the board this morning. I've got a map. And this is of the ancient world, and it's actually several maps overlaid. And you'll notice that, if you can see the little green dot... That that kind of reddish area represents the spread of the Assyrian Empire in its day. And then the purple represents the spread of the Babylonian Empire in its day. And then you've got the Medes and the Persians that are over here, and, and they get involved in all of this too. I also want you to notice down here in the lower left part of your map, there is the land of Egypt. So let me tell you a little bit about history in that region. There were three great civilizations always vying with one another for dominance. One of them was the Assyrians, one of them was the Babylonians, and the other one was the Medes and the Persians. And, and over the eons of time, there were times when each one of these groups were very much dominant over their whole area. Sometimes it was Assyrian, sometimes the Babylonian, sometimes the Medes and the Persian. But through them all, you had the Egyptians down here. Now, if you know anything at all, if you've watched National Geographic even a little bit, you know that Egypt was a very great, long-lasting, dominant culture in that part of the world. And so it didn't matter who was dominant up here, whether it was the Syrians or the Babylonians. They always had a problem because there was another major world power right down there called Egypt. And because back in that time, empires wanted to be empires. And an empire is not an empire if it doesn't grow. They wanted to grow. They wanted to be world dominant. They wanted to be preeminent power. They would always be fighting with Egypt. Egypt. Look who just happens to be on the road between Babylon, Assyria, and Egypt. What is this little land right here? It's the land of Israel. And typically what would happen is armies would move right up the Euphrates River. You know they say that armies move on their stomach. They move on water too. They got to have a source of water. And so these armies, these vast armies, would move right up the Euphrates River. They would come up here. They would catch the Jordan River. And they would move right on down into the area of Jerusalem and Samaria on their way to do battle with Egypt. And so there would be war. And the Assyrians would come down and zoom, they would run over Jerusalem. And the Egyptians would go up and zoom, they would run over Jerusalem. And then the Babylonians would come down, zoom, and they would run over Jerusalem. And then the Egyptians would come up and they would run over Jerusalem. And it was a constant tug-of-war. It was a natural land bridge between the greatest world powers that existed in that day. And what would happen is that sometimes the Israelites would make a bet And they would say, you know what, if we're going to survive all of this mess that's going on, we're going to have to make an alliance with Egypt or we're going to have to make an alliance with Babylon. But sometimes they bet on the wrong horse. And when they bet on the wrong horse, it did not go well for them because these major world powers would come knocking on their door, quite literally. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Egypt. ooh, when they allied with Egypt, he didn't like that and he come knocking on their door. And it was through this time that Jeremiah and Isaiah the prophet began to speak. And and Jeremiah looked at what was going on, and Jeremiah, because he had the gift of prophecy, he knew what time it was. He didn't know, he, he, he not only knew what was going on in the world, he knew why it was going on. And so when the people of Israel began to ask, why are all of these things happening to our nation? Why are the Babylonians coming in here and invading us? We are the people of God. Jeremiah said, I know what time it is. He said, let me tell you why this is happening to you. He said, it is because you have disobeyed the Lord your God. You have embraced The the idols of Egypt, ever since you have left that nation, and now you're depending upon them instead of the Lord your God to protect you from Babylon, and God has had it with your idolatry, and God has had it with your lack of faith, and now He is bringing judgment on you, and if you want to survive, you better surrender to the Babylonians because they're coming. You can imagine how popular He was in His nation. Man, He was thrown in a cistern. History tells us that he was probably stoned to death death in the land of Egypt. He was persona non grata. But that is the mark of a prophet many times. You can see a similar kind of thing unfold in Acts chapter 21. I'm not going to go to it this morning in the interest of time, but in Acts chapter 21, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. And there is a prophet named Agabus that knows what's going on in Jerusalem, and that is the persecution of Christians. And when Paul comes passing through his area, Agabus takes Paul's belt and he binds his hands and his feet with it and he says to Paul, just as I am bound with this this belt, so will the owner of this belt be bound in Jerusalem and sent to the Gentiles. Agabus knew what was going on and he knew what time it was and he told Paul how he thought Paul should respond to it. And that's what prophecy does. It is able to recognize what is going on in the world. It is able to take the Word of God and put it together with that by the power of the Holy Spirit and know what the outcome is going to be. And that message then is spoken forth. Does God still raise up people to tell us what time it is? I believe He absolutely does. Now I'm going to tell you right now, they're few and far between because being a prophet is not any fun. Jeremiah, you can say a lot of things about Jeremiah's life, but one thing you can't say about his life is that it was any fun. Because prophets are always going against the grain. I would defy you to even find one example in the scripture of of a prophet telling people something that they really want to hear. Most of the time, what prophets are doing is getting up in people's grill and telling them exactly what they don't want to hear. For example, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 22, 1 Kings chapter 22, we have an example of this by a prophet by the name of Micaiah, 1 Kings chapter 22, beginning of verse 10. It said, King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on thrones at the threshing floor near the the gate of Samaria. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. I find it interesting that the Bible says these were Ahab's prophets. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. Verse 11, one of them, named Zedekiah, son of Kenaniah, "...made some iron horns and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says, with these horns you will gore the Arameans to death." And all the other prophets agreed. Yes, they said, go up to Ramoth-Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king the victory. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, "...look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king. Be sure you agree with them and promise success." But Micaiah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. When Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead or should we hold back? And Micaiah replied sarcastically, Yes, go up and be victorious for the Lord will give the king victory. But the king replied sharply, How many times must I tell you that you speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? Then Micaiah told him, verse 17, In a vision, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Didn't I tell you the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat? He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. That, my friends, is the mark of a prophet. It is very, very rare that the prophet is the bearer of good news. When you look at this, what was the message of the false prophets? The message of the false prophets was go and be victorious. God's going to bless you. What was the message of the true prophet? The message of the true prophet is there is going to be death and destruction. You need to hold back. I want you to look at some of the things the Lord says about false prophets. Let's roll the slide. This is from Jeremiah It says, yes, even my prophets and priests are like that. They are all frauds. They offer up superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. Mark of a false prophet. Look at Ezekiel. Similar message. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because what you say is false and your visions are a lie, I will stand against you, says the Sovereign Lord. And I will raise my fist against all the prophets who see false visions and who make lying predictions, and they will be banished from the community of Israel. And I will blot their names from Israel's record books, and they will never again set foot in their own land. Then you will know that I am the Sovereign Lord." This will happen because these evil prophets deceive my people, saying all is peaceful when there is no peace at all. You see that throughout the Scripture. The false prophets typically are the ones that say blessings and peace, and the true prophets are usually the ones who speak judgment. Why am I belaboring that this morning? Because prophecy has become a thing now. And it's a big thing. And, and it is sweeping through churches. And there are a lot of people claiming now to have the prophetic gift. But what they are doing when they exercise the prophetic gift is they are typically laying hands on a person and blessing them, if I can say that. In other words, they lay their hands on them and say, Let me tell you what the Lord says that's going to happen in your life that's good. And so they may lay hands on a person and say, You know what? The Lord has called you from among His people to be a witness and to do great things. And God is going to use you all over the world. Let me tell you, I've I've been prophesied over. I've had people tell me what great things God was going to do through me. And it feels pretty good. I can see why it's so intoxicating. And I can see why it's catching on. But guys, you've got to understand something that even in the New Testament, that's never been what prophecy is. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to overlook the part about tongues and just focus on prophecy here. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 22. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be... What's it say, Bible people? They will be... Convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship worshiping God, saying, truly, God is here among you. A prophet is somebody who knows what time it is. A prophet is somebody who knows the score. Somehow God gives them the insight for what's going on in your life and they have the insight about what the Word of God says, and the Holy Spirit is able to put that all together in them so that they are able to speak the appropriate word at the appropriate time. How do you know if somebody's really a prophet or not? Deuteronomy chapter 18 says this, You may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? Well... If a prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not come true, then you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. If someone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, and that word does not ring true, or if they tell you something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, then what you have just encountered is not a prophet, but a false prophet. Now, there is a school of thought out there today. And again, it is a big one that says, well, prophecies don't always have to come true anymore. That that was only for the Old Testament. I don't know about all of that, guys, but here's what I do know. There is not one single place in Scripture anywhere at all that commends a false prophet or a false prophecy. And so uh, this is a yellow gift Because I think that God would have us to be very, very careful not only in exercising the gift but in receiving it. We need to have discernment. So, those are the yellow gifts this morning. And uh, by the way, let me say this about prophets as well. I almost left this part out. One of the reasons that prophecy is a yellow gift and not a red gift... Because, as I've just discussed with you, there's quite a few dangers associated with it. But one reason it's yellow instead of red is because if prophecy is done correctly, it is always undergirded by the Scripture. Jeremiah didn't just make up what he was prophesying out of uncut cloth. He didn't just get these based on impressions from the Lord. Yes, the Lord spoke to him. But he knew from the Scripture what God had commanded Israel, that they would have no idols before the the Lord their God. He knew idolatry was going on all over the land. And he was able to take what he knew from the Word of God and, 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 and pull it together with the impressions the Holy Spirit put in his heart and speak the appropriate word to them. So again, these are our yellow light gifts. Every one of them is still essential. We still need missionary or apostolic gifts. We still need discernment in a world where there are so many kinds of spirits at work. We still need an undying faith, an unyielding faith in God. And Lord knows we still need people to tell us what time it is. But these are gifts, guys, that have to be handled with extreme care because in the hands of the wrong person, these yellow gifts can be like a monkey with a machine gun. You ever seen a monkey with a machine gun? You know, if you ever see someone using spiritual gifts in such a way that it feels like a monkey with a machine gun, you better be aware of that because I'm not too sure that God gives machine guns to monkeys. Right? (laughs) I'm not sure that he's going to give a yellow light or a red light gift to someone that he cannot entrust to handle it responsibly. So if someone is firing randomly with one of these gifts that we've labeled yellow or red, and and it seems like to you they're like a monkey with a machine gun, you better be careful. Because A of all, it's probably not a real machine gun they're firing. Right? And B of all, wherever they got the gun, God didn't give it to them. And if you can understand those two things, you'll have a lot of discernment when you encounter these things because you most assuredly will encounter them out there. Amen? So, hope that gives you some understanding. I'm sorry it was so long, but I didn't want to shortcut any of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name, and we thank you for every spiritual gift that you give. We thank You for the way that You take the spiritual gifts and You knit them together in the church and You give the church exactly what it needs to carry forth Your work. And Lord, my prayer is that You would pour out Your gifts on this church even as I believe that You have. I pray that You would give us every part that we need and not a part would be missing or absent. At the same time, Heavenly Father, I pray that we would always be aware of how precious these gifts are and how much responsibility we need to take as we exercise them. Lord God give us faithful hearts and sound minds to be responsible in the way we receive and the way we use our gifts we pray Father God that that our exercise of our spiritual gifts would strengthen the church would glorify you father and uh would do much to spread your gospel. Lord, we lift this to you this morning in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.